everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Appreciate you guys uh, supporting us, supporting people that support us as well. And uh, again, any suggestions for guests, uh, head on over to contact at drdrew.com. And don't forget to check out drdrew.tv for the streaming shows. You will enjoy those. I guarantee it. It's definitely up your alley. And uh, yeah, After Dark is still hanging around. So you can check that out anytime over at your mom's house. And speaking of the streaming show, uh, my guest today has been on that show more than once, I believe, more than maybe more than twice. Uh, Ashley Tapscott, Dr. Tapscott, is from the Sexual Health Institute of the Carolinas. She's a urologist. It is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month as we air this podcast. And uh, I myself, of course, have prostate cancer and uh, work with the Prostate Cancer Foundation. If you ever want to support an organization that does um, extraordinary, every dollar you give them gets put into extraordinary creative research. I don't know of any organization, medical or or scientific organization in the country that is as productive as they are. Dr. Tapscott, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back, Dr. Drew. I, you know, I, uh, this is a passion of mine and I just, you know, I emailed you and I just said, Hey, you know, yeah, I know you're such a proponent of this, you know, concern and disease state awareness. And I think anything we can do to educate men is so important. So let's get into that a little bit. Cause I have a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. I, 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 one of the things I want to get into eventually is what you're doing over there at the, uh, the in- sexual health Institute, because uh, as always, you're up to something interesting, <laughs> But but uh, let's talk about prostate cancer for a second. So yeah. uh, is there there still is a bit of a divide between urology and primary care medicine in terms of how frequently to get PSAs and when to start getting them, which I find just astonishing and bizarre. Had uh, I not been aggressive with my PSA, I would not be where I am right now with my condition. Yes, and uh, I, I just think if you have a first degree relative with prostate cancer, you should start at 40 every year and every other man should start at 50. Uh, you are speaking, you're preaching to the choir here, as they say. So I think, you know, you and I have an incredible passion for men's health, number one. And thank you. And thank your listeners. And thank everyone who's dedicated to this podcast, because that is so important. Um, beyond just prostate cancer, just men's health. So prostate cancer is so tough. And as a urologist, personally, Um, I treat a different sector, which you and I will talk about later, which you know of my subspecialty certification. But by the way, you certainly see guys uh, with prostate cancer, I'm sure, or after surgical misadventures or radiation complications and things for sure. Of course I do. But I think the problem with prostate cancer, I'm not blaming it on any medical authority, but it's a genetic issue. Why Bobby and your twin brother, Robbie, have the same genetics, but prostate cancer, we just can't figure out. So we kind of over-treat, in general, nine guys to save one. Mm. Um, and and in medicine, medical, legally, other things, we just don't want to miss that. Not to mention, it's not a big deal, right, Dr. Drew, until it happens to you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you it's a, it. it's you're, you're a physician. You read yeah. the articles. It's no big deal, but when it happens to you... It's yeah. a different experience. Yeah, it is a quite interesting experience. I, I I got it when I was fifty, and I thought, oh, really? I was expecting it around seventy-five. And you're a white it, guy at fifty. Well, that's so young. But right, I know. And it's, you could argue that I got treated early, prematurely, whatever. But I, you know, it's fine. Everything has worked out well. And I needed some radiation ten years after prostatectomy, so it's not. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's not that early. Let's face it. It could have been much, much more serious problem. Vigilant and, comes to yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. 
And I went, I went on active surveillance, which many men can do. I had a low-grade tumor, and it started growing. The, the location was weird, and the size was weird. So I was like, let's get this thing out. I'm like, okay, good. And, uh, let's, and we should talk about that going forward, but I, wanna, I want you to finish that. But I want to yeah. pause that thought, because that the anxiety of living with cancer in your well, body. This, this is what I want to get to, is I was, I was angry at first. I'm like, because my uncle had it, my dad had it. I thought, I, I'm going to get this in my 70s. It's just going to happen. 50 sure. really 50 god and i'll damn be popping along in my retirement community still doing some sexy whatever tv shows you're doing but 50 <laughs> like you and susan like this is our moment right yeah yeah i know and it, it, it was scam by the way the partner's engagement that the whole thing is a whole other story i mean freaked That's her why out we're here, right yeah yeah and uh and I, I, I knew this is a slow growing tumor. I knew we were way ahead of it. I, I knew, th- you know, I, 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 I sort of felt once I got over the anger at getting it at 50, I said, uh, you know, I, if I got to get cancer, this is definitely the one I want. That's for sure. Right. And so great. And then we went through all the, you know, did eventually do all the stuff. And the, the first urologist was not super reassuring to Susan and had difficulty talking about sexual health after prostatectomy. And that flipped her out. Uh, and that's by the way, I love her, and you're so glad you married her, right? Because that's yeah, oh, yeah, and it's what led me to a different urologist, frankly. And uh, really, that's what led me to the Prostate Cancer Foundation and super, super uh, skilled surgeons and things. So, you want, you want to do your research, but it's interesting that her instinct was like, What the hell? This guy can't even talk about this. This is really not great. And uh, and I have had essentially no complications from any of this. I mean, everything is, yeah, as normal as normal can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and this is a time when you have these, you know, robotic surgeries and minimally invasive and nerve sparing and all that good stuff. And uh, so anyway, where was I going with this? So, um, gosh, I, I wanted to say something about uh, getting at this early. By the way, after that, I was then tested for Lynch syndrome and I have uh, MSH6 Lynch syndrome. So maybe what? why I was pr- prone to prostate cancer the way I was. Yeah. yeah. So it's going extra important. Well, I know what I was going to say, which is that, you know, um, it, 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 there are populations, you mentioned the genetic element in this, which yeah. is a major, major issue. And, and prostate cancer is so interesting because it the way it expresses its genetics along the life course of the tumor, the tumor changes and morphs and does crazy shit in response to everything we throw at it. And we're learning about how cancer works by studying that very, very carefully. And many, many treatments that are available today have been grown out of some of the observations in uh, prostate cancer. In any event, if you are of Norwegian descent, you have a much higher incidence. If you are an African-American man, you have, this is the group that I am most concerned with because, okay, because they don't like messing around in that area. And they're, they're always taking the position that I'm fine and you probably are, but the problem with African-American prostate cancer is when it presents, it usually presents in a more advanced state and it's almost all, yeah. And, and it's in a more aggressive tumor typically. Yes, sir. And so talk about that for a few minutes. Let's do that. So, and I appreciate that. So full disclosure for anyone on this podcast listening, Dr. Drew and I have had an association medically, you know, with each other on his podcast for a while. And I, you know, I emailed him and I just said, Hey, you have prostate cancer. You had prostate cancer. You're very forward about that. Like my biggest problem 
and I'm a woman, so I'm a I'm gonna come under fire for this. But in I can't October, wait what you're gonna say next. In October, Dr. Drew, what do you see on the field of the NFL in terms of uniforms and colors? Breast cancer. See what, breast cancer. What color do you see, Dr. Drew? Um pink. Yeah, the pink. I see the breast cancer. We got there. wristbands. We got yeah. headbands. We are dedicated yeah. to our mothers and our sisters. And I am so for that. I am a woman. I'm I'm a one in eight chance of breast cancer. Um, I'm fortunate at this moment. My you know fi- my family lineage, lineage. I'm scheduled for a mammogram next month. Um, but you know I don't have that family history. But I'm still one in eight. Guess what? Prostate cancer is one in eight as well. So September. I see no blue wristbands, sweatbands, armbands, headbands, towels in the back of the, you know, I, the Susan G. Komen Foundation is amazing. I am so proud of them. They are remarkable. Yes. Where is the men's health advocacy? Men are terrible health advocates. We have terrible men's health marketing. So a lot of my friends know me and they say to me, Ashley, we know you kind of get mad in October (laughs) only because where is my men's health? So that is why we're here. That's why I emailed you. And for all of our listeners, you know, Dr. Drew and his podcast is booked up two to three months in advance, but this is such an important issue to you that you forwarded me to say, we're going to talk about this for September because this is part of my life. Mm -hmm. This part of Susan's life. This part of 30% of the men on that NFL field will have an issue with prostate cancer. Where is the blue? Um, we're terrible men's health marketers and anything I can do to change that. Well, I'll welcome our sponsors. It's on your show, you know, what everybody wants to do, but bottom line it is an incredibly individualized diagnostic field. It's, it's that, you know, you can go to your buddy and you guys can go out to the same restaurant and wear the same glasses or, you know, exchange glasses. If you forgot yours and read the menu, prostate cancer is not that way. No, at all. And um, so anyway, so bottom line is I just, the reason that I reached out to you and that you and I have a great relationship is men's health is not put on that platform. And as a woman, which is bizarre, right? But um, I've got to, I've got to just shout it out on the mouth of the South. Well, it's, your, it's your patient population. I mean, you are a urologist. That's primarily men. I am. You- it's just so important. They don't have advocates. They really don't. Well, they do in the sense that, you know, we are terrible patients and we don't go get routine medical care until we're much older, typically. And when there is something going on, it's usually because the spouse drags them in. That's usually how it happens. Or uh, I was working with the African-American community recently, and it it can be the the daughters and the um, church community sort of, but peripheral, peripheral relatives will sometimes get through to the man. The, the spouse has a tough time. Um, and I understand I was, listen, I have to argue about there, right? When we get home. I, yes, I, I get it. I was I know you and Susan talk about hamburgers versus whatever. So I get it. Did I, I, did I tell you though, that when we talked about this a year or so ago, that it was she that dragged me in that she made she's because of her the diagnosis got made i i tri- brought me to a very good doctor who had very good judgment and yes, uh, my psa had gone one from one to four was still normal i was telling everybody i'll come back in six months don't worry oh. about it 
I know, I know. And so he goes, nah, I'm not really comfortable. We'll go see the urologist. I'm like, oh, come on. The urologist says, you're right. You're not supposed to be here. But here, take some anti-inflammatories and some Cipro for two weeks and we'll remeasure it. It'll go back down. It did not. So we did it again. It did not. And now I'm getting a biopsy. And I'm furious with everybody at this point. I'm like, see, see what happens. I'm being overtreated. I'm being overdiagnosed. You, I'm going to get a biopsy now. I don't even need it. Come on. You're, you're treating me specially. Don't treat me special. It's just because you're, you identify with me that you're anxious. And, but no, boom, prostate cancer. So there you go. But Dr. Good judgment. Let's be honest. The biopsy sucks. Yeah. They're not fun. I don't care how cute we make that seem. Yeah. That's not a comfortable experience for any man. If they're, but they're not horrible. They're they're not if they were horrible, they'd put us give us some propofol or something. But here's the problem, right? So we're obsessed with the PSA. Yeah. And the the most important thing, if anyone listens to any of this in this entire podcast, is the most frustrating problem for any urologist is that that prostate cancer is so individualized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish, I mean, the key is genetics. I had two guys, they were twins. One guy had metastatic prostate cancer. One guy had local prostate. Wow. Right. Well, wow. Obnoxious. Like we, we don't have it figured out. When I say we, I'm not blaming myself. I'm not blaming anyone. It is a genetic disease that we have yet to figure out. So unfortunately- let's, let's talk more about that because because yeah. um, it's interesting. I hope people are interested, in it, but I, I find this interesting. And and let me personalize it. Um, I was <laughs> I always catastrophize a little bit. And when uh, the, like a I year ago, I was meeting with my urologist, and I go, I go, hey, look. You go, I go, look, if I need androgen, if this thing gets away, we need androgen deprivation, which is sort of like initially treated. I go, look, I, I know in my bones, I'm going to be one of these guys that gets a dementia. There was just the New England Journal had just published a big article on this. And I went, I went, I don't know if you saw that article, but I, I've known that for a long time. I've seen it and it's a catastrophe when it occurs. I said, I'm going to be one of those guys. So let's get right onto the enzalutamide. And there was some research on that, you know, and, and he goes, will you calm down? He goes, and he's, but he, this is why I tell the story because he said, you don't have that kind of tumor. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that is that personalized, gene- your tumor has its own behavior, its own sort of uh, fingerprint in a way, doesn't it? In every given individual. Our friends at Shopify, they power 10% of all commerce in the U.S. Wow. Shopify is truly a global force, powering major brands, millions of other entrepreneurs as well of every size across over 170 countries. They put you in control of every sales channel. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify is the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn Someone from a browser to a buyer. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support you in your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash true. It's all lowercase. Go to Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, shopify.com slash true to take your business to the next level today. One more time, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, shopify.com slash true. And we don't know what that is. And that's yeah. why I'm so, you know, I actually talked to my mom and she just said, you know, 
I know you and Dr. Drew done a couple of shows before and you're together. Like you're not a cancer surgeon, right? I'm a sexual dysfunction expert and, and post-cancer survivorship expert. She's like, you know, what if he gets into the nitty gritty with you on cancer? And I said, he can, but the problem is, or the truth is, it is such an individualized discussion. And I want every patient to know that it or a guy or a family member or brother or friend or whatever, you know, it is such a, you put the one glasses on and you have to read the chart. And I don't mean to demean that, but I'm just saying like, it is so different for every, we haven't figured it out. And that is not for lack of trying, but there is something very weird genetically with prostate cancer we kind of overtreat everybody to yeah. save yeah. everyone. And no, I, I think that, but I think it's the I right got approach. So about my sexual dysfunction, you know. Yeah, so we'll get into that in a minute here, sure. but I, but I think that's that's an important approach to this because I it it just it's it's just an odd cancer and can morph and change and get away from you a little bit. And as a patient, you just don't want that. And um, I was going to tell you about the NFL. You asked, you know, where are the blue bands? I want you to know that I am shepherding the Prostate Cancer Foundation as aggressively I can into the NFL. It's a tough nut to crack. Let's do it together then. I'm here. We have, well, we have a whole, we have a lot of stuff we can offer them. And, and we're, we're just trying to find the right, the right way to, who to talk to and the right person and the right way to talk about it but we we could we could do so much specialized services for them that they're not getting and uh these again african-american men need early and, and regular early screening regular early treatment regular screening they just gotta do it any it's just man, though but any man but i mean it, it, we're talking coaches we're talking support staff i mean this is i again so you know susan susan g Komen is fantastic i love them i support them i'm a woman right i get mammograms i'm over 40 um but this whole thing about the NFL, and I see the pink stuff, and I don't see the blue stuff. Well, the NBA too, by oh, the just, way. It is, it's awesome. Hey, the NBA is the same thing, right? Same thing. So, yeah. okay, so I'm trying to get in there also. So if anyone knows anybody with the NBA, please let me know. That hey, we're going to work. You know, there's some way to so, – because they really should be doing this. It's sort of silly that they don't. Uh, okay. So uh, the Next one – the one thing I wanted to kind of emphasize is to get men to calm down about this area of their body and about how much can be done uh, if there is a problem, if things get going. Because men, we just, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. And then if it's something, we want to die of it. <laughs> it's just so crazy the way we think. Like, it'll just, it'll, if it kills me, fine. I, I won't know any different. And that will, that'll be that. But what, what talk about the spectrum of what you see? We'll just start with post uh, cancer treatment, radiation, and uh, surgery. Yeah. So let, let you know we can go the whole gamut. I mean, it's, again, prostate cancer is so individualized. So number one, I want to say zero men's prostate cancer is the same. It is a, mm. like an eyeglasses prescription or mm-hmm. worse. You might be able to put it on and see somebody else's point of view, but like whatever. So. Do, these are no generalizations. I want to say that, and I'm making no obviously medical, you know, portends in this podcast. Of course, as are you, right? But what I want to say is that two things. You know, there's a couple basic me- treatments for prostate cancer. There's medical and there's surgical, 
And medical usually derives removing the testosterone from your body, which number one makes you feel terrible. It, it's a fact. Um, people can uh, sugarcoat it and whatever else, but it, you don't feel like a man. We remove the testosterone to not feed the prostate. Usually that's in older men and or combination, which you and I have talked about. But, you know, in, in men of a, of a, you know, what we say is you should be treated for prostate cancer in general, in general, if you had 10 years or more to live. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to die with you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to die because of it, right? My That's- grandfather died at 92. If I biopsied his prostate at autopsy or at the funeral home, he probably would have had prostate cancer. Like 80%. probably. And at 100, apparently it's 100% probability. Exactly. Yes, sir. You got it. So the problem is, is, and this is not a problem, it's just a research issue, is we cannot figure out the genetics of prostate cancer. We are trying so hard and so fast. And again, kudos to our partners in healthcare who are trying to do this, right? Because urologists, I don't want to porcupine everybody's prostate all the time, right? How many times do I want to biopsy you? So if I diagnose you with prostate cancer and it's low grade, you have to come back every year for a biopsy. And what you have struggled with or understood, you and Susan, is do you want me to poke you every year with a biopsy? Oh, dude, I was on a six-month surveillance. So I had it every six months. And Will you talk about the anxiety? Yeah, so it's weird. Yes, I do want to talk about that because I, I said a few minutes ago, it was not terrible. I mean, it's like what you would call very uncomfortable. But, but still. But there's an aspect of it that is uncanny. And that is that it is a very visceral experience. Like you're, it is invasive. You're, you, you can, it's like being shot. It feels like being shot or something. And you're like, oh, I, some part of my body has been violated. And, and, you know, and I had really no symptoms afterwards. It's just sort of, it's a shock and it's kind of deep seated sort of a feeling. And by the way, I had weakness the. Uh, you know, for a week or two afterwards. I, and same thing, whenever I get processed. You know, it just sucks. Just say it sucks. It, it, sucks. it sucks. But what the crazy thing was, after, I think I probably went it through like four or five cycles, by about the fourth, I would, because it's so visceral, it's so attached to the autonomic nervous system, I had no anxiety, no brain anxiety. But when I walked in the urologist's office, I would become tachycardic and diaphoretic. It was really wild. So, you know, it's funny because on the AUA website, the American Neurological Association, which is my governing body, they call it watchful waiting, right? And then they change it to people felt nervous that we were just waiting. So they called it active surveillance. But then they they actually reinstated the watchful waiting period. So, you know, what I would tell patients is like biopsies, although benign, they're they're not benign. I mean, that is a procedure. You could get an infection. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to scare people, but it, it is a taxing process for the patient, for the couple, um, so when we talk about surgical therapy, when we talk about other therapies, I mean, it just, to think about going through this every year or like you every six months, I mean, to me, I would get anxiety about that. And well, I think let me, I, I didn't get it, but, um, I'm going to pull it. We're going to pull the curtain all, Ashley, we're going to pull the curtain all the way back here to help people. Um, what she is talking about, what she's dancing around 
is um, some odd things happen for a few weeks after a uh, biopsy. Oh, I didn't know you wanted to go there, but oh, we'll do it. And and for me, the only unpleasant thing, actually, I'm a physician, so a lot of weird stuff doesn't bother me. But uh, the the fatigue bothered me. So I and I think I had a little roll grade prostate. And when they took my prostate out, I had chronic prostatitis all over the place from all these biopsies. um, Of course you did. Yeah, right. And so but that. And when you have a deep-seated infection like that, and for me, I get weakness. But for a week or two, you ejaculate blood. And while that may not be such a big deal to the individual doing so, the partner may not be so cool with that. Well, you're at least having ejaculation, so you're congratulated on that front, Dr. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, No, but it's weird. I mean, peeing blood, pooping blood, ejaculating blood, people don't really know usually where the prostate is. Yeah. Um. And then just, I just, I think that it's just, like you said, I mean, even if it's a good biopsy, there can be complications. I mean, uh, and then to think about doing that every six months or every year. So now um, we have progressed to an MRI image Mm. of the prostate. Um, It's not perfect. Uh, Depending on insurance carriers, it may or may not be covered. I think it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. In some high-level institutions, uh, cancer institutions, I don't know that it delays a biopsy, but I just think it's important um, to see, like, you know, what level of shadiness is there in a prostate? You know, uh, so it is so individualized, and and I can't speak to that because, again, this is such an individualized discussion. But what I think is so important is, regardless, in considering any of this, you have to dis- you have to really discuss with you and your partner. Do you want your butt to be poked so many times? You know, what is your family history? What is the likelihood? At some point, if we poke you enough, we are going to find cancer. Truth be told. Yeah, that's right. That's true. We're going to dissect that apple enough or that walnut enough. We're going to find it. And then what happens if we find it? Do we be really aggressive? We have to do something. And then for me, as you know, my specialty the cancer survivorship, and we have to do a better job of talking men through what life is like after cancer, as well as their partners. Okay, we're gonna, that's where we're going next. But but just before we do, yes, sir. I want to point out some of the new things that you mentioned: medical management, surgical management. But I'm uh, red hot on, on some of the cool radiation therapies that are going on right now. Let's talk about and uh, I I had a little little tiny bump in my PSA. So they gave me what's called S- MRI guided SBRT. Okay. It used to be eight weeks of three days a week radiation that would make you tired and fatigued and give you proctitis and yeah, urinary GI problems side effects. Yes, sir. And, and, G- and urinary side effects. And now you sit there for, f- you do five sessions or something, if I remember right. And it was a zero, no side effects whatsoever. And now we, in addition, I think people understand PSA is a protein that we detect on the surface of prostate cancer cell, the prostate-specific antigen. And we now have the PSMA, which is even more specific to prostate and prostate cancer. And we have now uh, radium-tagged PSMA treatments where you can actually take a, a small isotope and deliver it to a, a protein on the surface of the cell that gets absorbed into the cell and kills the cell because it brings the isotope in with it. That to me, I think that's the future for, for metastatic prostate cancer. It is. But again, it's, it's, 
everything is so individualized. I know it, it, you're you're right. So and some, which I mean, there's a whole. I, I, that's why the, I went into cancer survivorship instead of cancer diagnosis. Yeah, yeah we're going to go there. But but I've done a lot of re, I've done, set through several lectures on this and the the PSMA and how it's expressed and it's not always expressed and the cancer cell learns to de-express it if you're using it as a target. I mean, prostate cancer is one of the smartest cells I've ever seen. It just learns how to get around everything. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. It's so crazy. And it's frustrating and it's frustrating for patients and it's frustrating for clinicians. I mean, I have some of the best urologists in the world that are my colleagues and we are trying so hard to figure this out. But unfortunately, you know, it takes time and trials. Mm -hmm. And in those time and trials, we don't always have it figured out, but we are trying so hard. I have so many great colleagues who have NIH grants and, you know, we are trying so hard. I just want patients to know that, that, you know, so if there's concerns, you know, all these cancer trials are linked. The cancer societies are linked. We are working so hard for you. And it's moving fast. It's moving fast. As soon as you're frustrated, we're frustrated. No, it's, it's like going fishing and hiring a fishing captain, right? No one wants to catch more fish than the guy that you hired. Yeah. Right? No one wants to cure more cancer than the prostate cancer surgeon that you're hanging with, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You ever find yourself trying to fall asleep at night and your brain will not slow down? Do thoughts just race and they wake you up middle of the night racing? Turns out a great way to approach that is with therapy. We use brains to heal other brains. We regulate, we process emotions that way. And BetterHelp provides you that opportunity. I've been a patient in therapy myself. I've actually, of course, treated patients for many years. And I've seen firsthand the extraordinary benefits of therapy. Treatment does work. And no longer is there any place for stigma or worrying about stigma or worrying about embarrassment. It just Look, that's just silliness. And of course, this is entirely online. And so there's no opportunity even to worry about embarrassment or running into somebody. As I said, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Drew. It's changing fast. You don't have the perspective that I did when urology back in the 80s was the sleepiest profession. And it was, and especially as it pertained to prostate cancer, where it's like, hey, you either die of it or you just live with it. It's all just... just it was called the couch potato of cancer. Right? <laughs> right. And now it's become the the harbinger, the leading edge of, of cancer and cancer research. All yeah. right. Let's talk about, about survivorship and what you're doing at the yeah. Sexual Health Institute and all the treatments. For, let's, before we get into the cancer part, let's just talk more globally about the kinds of trends you're seeing in men. So what I think I'm seeing post-COVID is, and I think some of this, Dr. Drew, well, this is a whole other discussion you know, I haven't talked about. It's the whole semaglutide, Manjaro, you know, all the, the thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not even going there. The weight um, loss meds. Yes, sir. Yeah. I have di- diabetes sensitivity, other things. So I think that what I'm seeing is, you know, look, when you were caged up, 
I say that politely. You know, you either loved your partner or you hated your partner. So everybody's getting divorced or everybody's just diving in, right, uh, to their families. And I think that what I'm seeing is is a, a devoted kind of reconstitution to we're going to do this right. Life matters. Wow. Um, our life outside of work matters. And we're going to try and be healthy. There's so much, you know, I'm outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm, I have some other um, locations that I'd love to share with you when the time is right soon. Well, you can do it right now. What am Where I doing? else are you? So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I am working all over the country and lecturing and consulting, um, but I can't wait to tell you my new uh, discovery. Okay. I can't wait either. I know, you know, I'll email you, but anyway, I can't disclose it publicly at this moment, but. Um, oh, okay. Well, stand by everybody. We'll get her back to talk about it publicly. Yes, sir. We'll do it. But the bottom line is I just think that, you know, everyone has a renewed sense of self-awareness and self-help. Hmm. And honestly, Dr. Drew, more importantly, as you and I talked off air just a moment ago, um, addiction medicine and mental health. Yeah. I've had some really close friends. Uh, recently with some terrible um, addiction medicine uh, losses in their life. And I shout out to them, love them. And I just think that I think we're seeing a renewed sense of wellness. And and I think, you know, that's an adaptation also of some drug of some uh, pharmaceutical benefits that we've had. I don't think this is this craze as we talk about is for everybody. You could speak to that more than I maybe because your internal medicine background, but um, I think from a cancer survivorship, when we talk about prostate cancer, these patients, you men, I'm looking into the camera, you men, you need erectile dysfunction and incontinence discussions before surgery, before treatment options are discussed. You and your partner need to be there 1000%. Mm-hmm. There is zero reason to not be there. It is to me, that's, that is part of the package. Yeah, I mean, and ask your surgeon what what the rates are, what he or she has on the other side. That was my first question. What's your, you know, what are the rates of symptomatology after you, you know, after you've done your thing? Yeah, in general, they say maybe fifty percent. So, like, if you think you have a one hundred percent erectile, you know, function rate, they say perhaps up to fifty percent decrease. If you have a little bit of a loss in that area, um, obviously, it's going to be beyond that. So, don't. Just don't be scared. Don't be afraid to be honest. I know it's uncomfortable and it's painful, but my biggest successes are when patients tell me their weaknesses. Mm. Because then we can then we can help that. We can fix erectile dysfunction. That is a done deal. We don't have to cry and belabor and fight and create other concerns in the relationship. Distrust. I'm not sexy. I'm not hot. I'm not your thing. This is something else outside. No, ma'am. No ham, no turkey. I'm talking about heterosexual couples, but obviously I, I, you know, entertain homosexual couples and, and, and all the other couples. I say I treat his, hers and all y'all's. But the truth is, is, you know, just be honest with me. I am here to help you. I'm not a therapist. I'm a surgeon. But I can figure this out. And if I don't know where we're starting, I don't know how to get you there to the mm-hmm. or where you want to be. What would you normally step through to get people before they're seeing you with a knife for the implants? So what do I step through? So uh, a couple things. So usually people are referred to me after medication failure. 
So that would be, you know, we get to about Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, the, even the generics, very expensive. And then Stendra, which you and I have talked about before. There's, there's only a couple of different medicines. They generally all work the same way in different ways. But if you're a medication fire, what happens when you present to me um, is I have you come in. We talk about risk factors. Wait, so- wait I want I have questions. I have yeah. questions. So yeah. are there, uh, at one point, people were sort of maximizing meds, like using Cialis on with Viagra on top. On, yeah, oh, on Chaser. I call it Chaser. Yeah, is that still going yeah, on? with a Chaser or whatever. That's still working for people? That's still an okay thing? Yeah, yeah. But no, by, by okay, I mean, I'm worried about side effects. No, no. ocular problems or anything with no. the higher dose stuff. Okay. I don't like that. I, I never recommend that. That's not an FDA allowable yeah. uh, dosage. And I don't recommend that ever in my practice. Okay. What happened was, to be honest, Sidenafil was, Viagra was the first on brand, 1998. Mm-hmm. Then Sidenafil was the cheapest. It is affected with metabolism by alcohol and food. And so I think they kind of did something. And I think it got affected. You know, when you have date night, you're going to, uh, I'm not plugging, like Outback Steakhouse with steak and red wine or whatever, right? Um, So I think that was the blue pill was like the kind of the first reflex. I personally like the Tadalafil because it has a longer window um of a half-life and i think it's a little gentler it's not so punchy that's cialis yes sir previously yeah and then we had levitra which is um vardenafil it's kind of in the weeds because it's expensive still because that kind of died and then stendra which is super great yeah very fast acting so you know very quick only 15 to 20 minute uh, Mm -hmm. on the fda Mm -hmm. probably the least side effects perhaps of any medication for erectile dysfunction, but it's expensive for patients. So bottom line, if that doesn't work, what happens is I bring you into wait, wait, my- hold on, hold on. I have more questions. Yeah. Is are it- they any longer stepping people through any of the prostaglandins or papaverine or yeah, injectable? Yes, okay. Sir. You're going to do that. Okay. So what happens is, is if you're a medication failure pre or post prostatectomy, and if you're post prostatectomy, there are, regimens for getting your erections back or just if you're not having sex with your partner it's a penile rehab so what if you got your knee replaced dr drew Mm -hmm. there is a rehab algorithm even if you're not going running even if you're not going to the olympics there is a knee rehab there's a joint boot camp there's a whatever right there is a penile boot camp for men with prostatectomy i just want to tell people that well, one of my favorites is Memorial Sloan Kettering. John Mulhall is there. He's a good colleague of mine. That is accessible. So I want these patients to understand, do not settle for any less than this. Even if your local um, specialists are not recommending this, you can Google this and it's there for you. And I welcome them to do that. And find- Is it just called penile rehab? And does- it's called penile rehab Memorial Sloan Kettering. And, do- and does it include ultrasound, that kind of thing? It includes a lot of things. It's, 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 it's a, you, there's actually um, one of the vacuum erection devices. You and I did a program with that before. Mm-hmm. But it has a three to 12 month program. And I want Amanda to understand if after 12 months in my practice, it's just me speaking for me. If after 12 months, your erections aren't what they should be with medical or device therapy, we need to talk about other things. I don't want people to feel like they have to wait. I don't want men and couples and their partners 
to feel like they have to wait more than eight to 12 months for a successful long-term rehab option, which mm-hmm. is a you know, solution. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so when you talk about well, who comes into me, let's run through this in like, you know, 30 seconds. What happens is if you fail medical uh, therapy, what happens is you come into my office and I would give you an injection of a, what we call intracavenosal injection. So yes, that is an injection into the penis of three potent vasodilators. So that's phentolamine, papaverin, and as you said, prostaglandin, usually E1. And so those blow up in the blood vessels. And then on ultrasound, I map your penile blood vessels. And we see, do we have enough blood flow in? And then do the valves close? So erectile dysfunction is one of two problems or swirl, right? Do we not have enough blood flow in? Do we not have the valves to close them? Or is it a mixture of both? And we see that on the screen. I invite patients and, I mean, patients are there, right? But partners into the office. If you want to see this, this is actually some of the most gratifying visits in my entire practice. Is Mm. It's not him. It's not you. There's nobody else. We don't have, like, this is a plumbing issue. I am a human plumber in essence, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the issue. I can print it out. I even, tell, I even tell guys when they're there, do you want me to print this out so you can take this home? Like, this is my ultrasound machine. I want your partner to see what's going on. And then once we have that diagnosis, it, it directs treatment a little bit. Does it change everything? Perhaps not. But it tells us, you know, if you have veno-occlusive disease or if the valves don't close, you can take Cialis all day long. You can do injections all day long. The blood is not going to stay in the penis because you don't have accurate valves. You don't have functional valves. What? What is is there a population that, that mostly shows up in that particular issue? No. No, mm. not at all. No. Mm. And, and by the way, I mean, it is unfortunate, Dr. Drew, but I have seen... 23-year-olds with mm. van, with, with floppy valves. It's almost like varicose veins, mm. right? If you think about it, like where the valves, ju- they just don't close. I mean, I, I have seen, um, you know, type 1 diabetics with terrible arteries. I have seen, you know, and we know this is sexy. This is sex. This is what I do. But we know that on average, erectile dysfunction issues show up three years prior it's on document in medical literature before a major coronary event, right? Because the penile blood vessels are three times smaller than the coronary blood. Yeah, no, I, I, and seven, I've read literature says seven times more sensitive to coronary, to uh, endothelial disorders. I and call so, it a penile stress test. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 guys, I, I'll put on a treadmill. They could run 10 miles. That's not the problem. Their penises don't work and we've got to trace it back. Whether, you know, as you know, it's a coronary calcium score, which mm-hmm. is very different mm-hmm. than a stress test, right? Mm-hmm. These guys in my office, they're having sex all the time. That's why they come see me or they want to have sex all the time. So they're going to pass a treadmill, you know, two mile stress test. The coronary calcium genetically, they cannot outrun. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, whenever I see somebody that has over 40 with coronary with uh, erectile dysfunction, first thing, cardiac workup, numero uno. Yeah, yeah. It's just I just um, 
So, you know, in doing that advanced diagnostic evaluation, again, what I want people to know, not everyone does that. Not everyone knows how to do that. Um, it's very important for a myriad of reasons. And I just think that um, it is just, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd in that way, but it's a magical moment in my office. And I'm so happy just to be able to show people what's going on. Are you um, ever sending people it's home? It's not sending them home with the injectables ever? Uh, you mean, do I prescribe those? Do they, do they take you know, the, the, the magic injectable that you gave them in the office? Do you ever say, now I want you to use that at home for the next few months? Of course. Of course. Yeah. So that, that's on the AUA guidelines, right? Yeah. So yes. Um, I would just say, you know, most of my patients, there's a 75% dropout rate for intracavenosal injections or intrapenile injections. It's not sexy to put a needle in your penis every time you want to have sex. And what? My patients, I know. What? I know. I mean, everybody's different. All right. It's 2023. Maybe I, maybe I can go down. But, but, you know, if somebody wants to go to Colorado um, for a vacation with their, you know, loved one, uh, they, they're like, how do I fly in with this? I got to put an ice bag on it. Um, a lot of them are compounded, have to be refrigerable. There's a 30 to 90 day shelf life, depending mm. on whatever. Um, so it, it is a task compared to something like a penile implant um, that's available all the time. So I think it's a great option, in my personal opinion, long term for couples who want to be consistently intimate or patients who want to just have consistent sex. Um, it's not always convenient. This is Below Deck's Captain Lee. Listen to my new podcast, Salty, with Captain Lee. Um, don't you mean our podcast? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Anyhow, listen to Salty with Captain Lee, co-hosted by my assistant, Sam. And we will be talking about the latest pop culture news and all the gossip every week. So does this mean we have to talk by ourselves, about ourselves, or can we at least have some guests on? I don't know, I find myself pretty interesting, but yeah, we can have some guests on, some of our reality TV friends, and some stars. Works for me. Listen to Salty now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If a guy decides to go on to the implant, Do you present several different ones to them or do you have a favorite? Do you recommend more strongly or how does that work? Yes, sir. So I think, so technically there's three different kinds of implants. Um, There is the um, malleable, which is kind of what I call the, um, the uh, exaggerated. Gumby. Gumby. You know, the, you know, the ones. It's like Gumby. The dry cleaners. The ones you, yeah. The ones you get from the dry cleaners, you know, those, those. uh, Yeah. Um, so they're bendable. They're always firm. It's just a bendable rod. Yes, Gumby would uh, to your alliteration would be appropriate. <laughs> That's okay for some people. For the um, desire, you know, more uh, younger, younger functional man, I don't think it's always appropriate. I do think financially, um, depending upon patients who cannot get it covered by insurance or mm. other things, you know. It's still a great implant. It's been around for forever, right? Penile implants have actually been around since 1973. This is not like a joke or a novel item. This is a more than a 50-year mm. documented therapy. Mm. Um, 
Then we have the two-piece implant, which has two inflatable rods and uh, a pump. Um, the problem with that implant, it's a great implant, but the problem with that is um, it stays about 30 plus percent inflated most of the time. And so I have a lot of patients who are very active, especially my younger patients. Um, and so it just feels a little too full for them. And then they, it's a limited quantity of expansion. And what I want patients to understand, which you know for sure, which is, you know, the penis is a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. It, that is not a joke. That is for real. So if you're not working your, you know, if I put, I was to my patients, I put a cast on your arm for six weeks and I take it off. What does it look like compared to the other arm? Mm-hmm. It's skinny. It's scrawny. It's puny. You know, whatever. Your penis, if you don't use it, if your penis, it's a smooth muscle, it will shrink. So when people come to me and like, oh, I used to be whatever. Well, I believe you. I mean, I, I can't go back to 1993 with you, right? But like, you know, I believe that your penis was bigger. So that's a two-piece implant with the inflatables and the pump, but no reservoir. So you have a limited kind of expansion with that. The Cadillac or Gold, Cadillac, we've evolved since then, but it's Cadillac or Gold Standard is a three-piece implant, which is two inflatable cylinders and the pump, and a reservoir, which is put down under the abdomen in most cases. Um, and that is kind of the gold standard. And in um, some, there are a lot of great implant experts all over the country. I'm happy to help refer people, but that's the gold standard. And that is the most natural in the erect and a flaccid state. And I have female partners who have told me, and male partners, who have told me that it, you know, feels no different than natural intercourse. And I have Mm -hmm. patient educators that are happy to speak to anyone um, with questions, as do the implant companies. There's two main implants in the United States that are kind of like Coke and Pepsi, as far as branding goes, so. You know, I I understand, of course, that uh, orgasmic function and erectile function are two totally separate biologies. Um, but I, I'm curious how, is how, how that works, <laughs> even though I know they're different uh, w- w- in this setting of this kind of erectile dysfunction. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you completely, but I have seen, there is a lot of psychogenic concern when it comes to the ejaculation. So I have more ejaculation orgasm debates in my practice, right? So a guy will come to me, a gentleman. I don't know if he's a gentleman, but a guy, a patient will come to me and he will say, I can't ejaculate. And I said, well, did fluid come out? Well, yes. Oh, so you're saying you can't orgasm. Orgasmic dysfunction is an area of research that I'm actually like diving head on into. I am very intrigued by this because there's a lot of components, just like female sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So I think the male orgasmic range is probably... I'm not going to say equivalent, but it's as mysterious as the female libido range as well. So I, I think it's multifactorial. I think some of it is hormonally driven. I think some of it is partner driven. I think there is a lot of association. So, you know, for a man to ejaculate and then not orgasm, that's a very unique event compared to a woman It's just, there's so many factors, which is why, again, thank you that you and I have this great relationship because having dedicated sexual health experts is so important for these patients who might see 
traditional practitioners and not have these areas entertained. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you talk about ejaculation, yes. So, you know, if you have your prostate removed, you're not going to ejaculate. You're going to have a dry ejaculate because we remove the seminal vesicles with the prostate as part of the prostate surgery. That does not mean that you should not have an orgasm. Correct. And they can still be fantastic and amazing. Um, but I don't deny men the fact that we associate one with the other. And so they may be different or perhaps less or non-existent because we associated ejaculation with orgasm. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the no ejaculate is like a, a non-issue. It's a really. Thing. It's a, it's a win. Mm-hmm. It's not I've had, but I've had men tell me, you know, after they came to see me and I didn't do their vasectomy, they said, Dr. T, you know, I had a vasectomy and now I can't, uh, I can't have a good erection or I can't ejaculate or orgasm. That isn't, they're completely not. How is that possible? Correct. But I, I think, you know, it's tied into everything. Mm. And psychological is 10% of the male psyche in most normal men that's accelerated in men who have other psychological concerns. Mm. Um, but I have men that tell me they've never had normal erection or ejaculation or whatever since their vasectomy. It's a little bit of urology PTSD. I think it's an important discussion topic. I think education is important. Um, it doesn't make sense when we tie it up scientifically, but I, I'm not going to devalue their concerns or their. Sure. But back to, I, but back I, to. I'm not sure that I can fix it in some, depending upon the situation. But back to severe erectile dysfunction. It's, it's yeah. hard to imagine if you're a man without that problem, how merely inflating the penis would allow for orgasmic function to occur. That's the part I'm trying yeah. to put together here for men. Agreed. So I think that, um, I think the bottom line is that it, you know, erectile dysfunction in generality, again, not medical advice because you and I are just here as friends on a podcast. Right. But in generalities, like penile implants do not change erection. I mean, excuse me, not change ejaculation, sensation, orgasm. They don't change that. It's merely an inflatable device inside of a place that had an inflatable device, which was their erectile tissue. Some men tell me their ejaculation or orgasm is better after a penile implant because they're not worried about their erections. So maybe one difference people should be educated about is once a man, if he has intact ejaculatory function, once he ejaculates after a penile implant, his erection does not go down, right? Because it's mechanically controlled. It's a weird description, but you know, it only hits that button and releases the device. His penis stays hard. Mm. And so there's not a recovery or a refractile period, perhaps, as far as erection goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not been told ever by a partner that it feels incredibly different. Um, does it take a little bit of maybe conversation or openness? And again, you know, perhaps single men or men that aren't in committed uh, relationships or some different discussions? Yes. But I think it's a fantastic option and certainly i have done so many and i'm so proud to offer that therapy for for men for restoration yes we have breast implants for women um not to you know i'm a woman not to 
you know, she hit her, hers, whatever, not to knock my feet, my female counterparts, but breast implants are kind of space fillers. Um, a penile implant is actually a functional device. Mm, interesting. And I think we have to talk about restorative therapy with men in cancer, which is why I reached out to you as well for September, which is women, you know, if I were diagnosed with breast cancer, I'd have a mastectomy in a minute. I am not emotionally attached to that. That's just me. Maybe because I'm medical, you know, you and I see things different ways, perhaps mm-hmm. right, than, mm-hmm. than, than people um, that aren't, aren't in, in medicine. But the, the penal, it is such an attachment primarily for a man. It is such a restorative therapy. It's not a space filler. It doesn't, you know, flesh out your pants. You know, you're not, I mean, if you want to pump it up and walk around in a Speedo or on a naked beach. Huh, that's, that's hysterical. Right. But, but, but really that's a functional organ and the breast, unless, unless you're lactating, Yes, it's a sexual organ, but it's not, it doesn't really serve another function in my mind. And I don't want to incite, you know, a medical, you know, hate on this. But bottom line, the penis is a functional organ. And so I want men to understand that we can restore you. Cancer is an individualized discussion when it comes to prostate. And let's not, Dr. Drew, let's not forget down the road, November, we have testicular cancer to talk about. Mm. So no, we'll, we'll, we'll do another one. We'll do we'll another appearance. Well, I mean, I try. When we remove testicles from men, we're talking about removing testosterone and some of these endogenous hormones that incite libido, bone health. Men need testosterone. Women need estrogen. I need 10% of what you got, and you need 10% of what I got. I have, right? Yep. So, you know, with the, as the young kids say, we can all be Gucci. You know, we can all be good. But we have to understand restorative therapy is the nature of my world. And it does me no good to take a 52-year-old man's prostate out and not talk about erectile dysfunction, urinary incontinence, testosterone therapy. Prostate does not make testosterone, but at some point he's going to be subject to that. These are so important. And thank you for allowing me to have this platform, as are you, as a patient, as a survivor, as a partner of Miss Susan, all the things. It's just so important to just spark the discussion let's talk about testosterone for a second you mentioned it in the setting of prostate cancer is are people advocating that are you talking about the testosterone blockade if somebody's needing that yeah both so yeah testosterone blockade or as we call in the urology world adt androgen deprivation therapy um there are some off cuff disc there's a lot of literature dr drew and we could this could be a whole another like three hour episode mm. some of my some of my best colleagues at the most at the finest institutes in the world for academia are discussing you know testosterone therapy can be safe in the setting of men with prostate cancer history mm. of prostate cancer and or on active surveillance again super individualized that is not a blanket statement this is not to you know uh, this is not to advocate for anything. There are some discussions. If you're at baseline at 120 or less, we think that you are not at any more risk for being on testosterone therapy because of the androgen receptors. And the, again, that there is so much genetic work to be done. So if anyone's listening to this geneticist, go, go, y'all go, because we need you so bad. 
And, and where are you with testosterone in uh, supplementation these days? I noticed at the Sexual Health Institute, you have that as a sort of dealing with testosterone, one of your options. Men and women. Mm. Um, so I think we've proven safety in a lot of that. And actually, my very one of my very good colleagues, I'm not going to name anybody on this podcast, but they can Google them. But um, one of my very most loveliest, like number one experts in the world, presented at the National Endocrine Society in mm. Chicago in wow. June. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll email you this afterwards. Um, at the National Endocrine Society about the newest testosterone guidelines regarding cardiovascular risk, bone health, et cetera. In my personal opinion, again, not medical here on this podcast, but certainly bone health, mood, memory, concentration, uh, weight bearing, uh, you know, muscle memory. We have vitality trials, just how people mm-hmm. feel. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's a role for therapeutic testosterone therapy in guys and gals. And again, I'm not talking about our gender affirming or gender transitioning individuals, because that's a whole nother. And I, I still, there's a clinic in Asheville that I work with, uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm very proud of them. Um, but that, you know, they can do that, but we're just talking about just, just therapeutic benefit. I think, you know, uh, biologically uh, gendered guys and gals um, and that identify as such um, benefit from that. And I think it's very, very important. So what do I see now as trends? I think we have moved from an intramuscular to a subcutaneous society mm. of injection and people that are kind of in the upper echelons of that. I think we have moved from cipionate to inenthate. Mm-hmm. I think we've changed that. Um, pellets are great. Um, there's been some payment problems insurance wise with pellets. So I think we want to just dial it down to the low cost simpler. I think we're doing once a week in and under the skin. Um, and I, I, I get a little, um, upset about physicians that just particularly primary care, just all of a sudden just sticks some sort of testosterone replacement on board because a man's testosterone is slumping without doing any workup for why that's happening. It drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, in my, you know, you know, you know, we're, we're friends for a reason, right? So I talk about coronary calcium score, sleep apnea test, a thyroid issues. I want to talk about, let's have an honest discussion about drinking, mm-hmm. smoking, weight. I mean, mm-hmm. none of us are perfect. And you, I don't know what the heck you did after that special forces, whatever, whatever, but you look fantastic, <laughs> but but I'm sure it be, you know, beat your butt. You're doing special forces stuff. But bottom line is, you know, I think it's really hard to have the real discussions when they're your primary care patients. Yeah. And um, I, those are the hardest working people in medicine. I think I would say, um, cause they have to deal with 11 conditions and I'm luxurious and I get to deal with maybe two to three. Right. Oh, there, listen, I've done primary care for my 15 minutes. I, I, I've done it for 40 years. The, the stuff you don't know is that we also get saddled with all the family issues, all the insurance issues, all the right. legal issues. We're and when everyone's to, de- if the patient's yeah. dying of something, when everyone is done with them, they send them back to us. Of course. And they don't have nothing to do with them. What's and it's their craziness. Yep, it's therapy. And then, oh, by the way, hand on the doorknob. Do you have any Viagra samples back yeah. in the day? No one has at this point. Not even I. Um, so, but anyway, yes. So I think that um, that's my beauty is like, I think that's why I had such great relationships in my area with primary care and or internal medicine is I'm going to take it to the next level with men's health or women's health to say testosterone, DHEA, 
um, you know, SHBG, like just a bunch of different hormones that we really have to talk about that make you like, I don't know how to manage cortisol, right? I'm not going to do some things. I'm going to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. I think just talking about it and bringing up a discussion, I think now more than ever, a TikTok to blame, good, bad, or ugly. You know, my face care comes from TikTok now. I learned some things. I have potted cheese recipes from TikTok. That's so funny. It's, it's not my primary source of news for low carb or whatever. But I mean, there are some great things that are being elucidated. And so I will, I, good, bad, or ugly, I'm coming out with a TikTok channel very soon. Oh, my goodness. About men's health. And I just think, you know, we can do it well and we don't have to do it expensively and everyone should be accessible. And that is my goal. That's why I'm here with you. And I appreciate you and your staff. You know, we can do this and educate people and it doesn't have to be at the $1,200 VIP price tag, no, no. et cetera, et cetera. And everybody, well, everybody deserves that. Well, let's wrap up with that. Where, where can we find you on social media? Where's this TikTok channel going to be? Yeah. Um, how can we keep an eye out for whatever this exciting new thing is you're doing? <laughs> Tell us all about it. Oh, thank you. I love that. Oh, you're my favorite. Um, so I'm still at she shi carolina.com and um I am there. We're kind of on pause for the moment. I'm changing some gears and some practices with mine. Um, and so, um, but I very soon will announce a really great home for myself and my patients. Um, but you can find me at shecarolina.com. And then I'm inventing in a whole new social media, but I promise I'll be there for release with you all. But in the meantime, you know, we're just going to kind of hold for the moment and build everything so that we can serve everyone appropriately. So shicarolina.com. And if you go there, when you have that new social media, uh, it's HIPAA compliant. that's a website, it's HIPAA compliant that can fit uh. a submission form. And then by the way, if I'm not in their area, as you know, you know, I have great organizations like the sexual medicine society in North, uh, North America and the international society for sexual medicine, the international society for the study of women's sexual health. If I'm not in their area, I can match them to a provider that is under that umbrella so that they can, you know, be taken care of. And that's what's important. You know, just because you're in, you know, a different city in Kansas or because you're in Argentina, I I have providers, I have colleagues that will be happy to at least entertain that, uh, you know, in person, if not virtually. And I think that's what's so important is just, I thought maybe Dr. Drew, COVID was going to really hurt sexual medicine. I thought it wouldn't be as intimate, but to be honest, it has been, and I'm sure you understand from mental health, it has just been a game changer. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm fascinated to hear you say that because I have noticed that there is, uh, I mean, you know, you're working in the world of libido with the life force. And I was, I've noticed an increasing hunger for social contact. And I'm sure that that goes in all aspects of the interpersonal experience. And so it's kind of interesting that that people want to be around each other, want to be with each other, uh, or they're out drinking and using drugs and in real trouble, uh, which is the other, the other thing that's happened. And and you're, Uh, you're on both sides of the spectrum, right? Bless you. You're busy. 
Yeah. yeah. So again, I appreciate you for being my colleague and my friend and um, entertaining this important subject. And, you know, there is no FDA approved product for male libido. Mm. Uh, we're working on it. I'm actively working on it with some people, but anybody that's out there, that is a public cry mm. um, out for men. Testosterone is not FDA approved for increasing mm. libido, although we do see that. Um, but we're going to do it. I'm going to do it in my uh, lifetime, in my practice span. We're going to we're going to figure something out. And I appreciate you for supporting me at all, as always. Well, the gauntlet is down and hopefully we'll see you again at the uh, testicular cancer awareness month. Yes, sir. We're here. All right, Ashley, thank you so much. Dr. Ashley Task. Dr. Ashley Tapscott. That is shicarolina.com, right? Or .org, .com? .com. You got it. Right. And for everyone else, we'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 